en een hartelike goeiemorgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, jy woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na jy woord. En Psalm 119, 105 sê, jy woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krij dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Gee jou geloof vleels, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. Ja, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. morgen. uit ons hardheid, vanuit 42, Jakobusstraat, Kilnerpark in Pretoria. My brother in Christ, Rocky Stevenson, good morning, are you well sir? Morning, very well, thank you Vainant, it's good to be here. Yeah, wonderful to have you here on a Tuesday, as always. Don't forget, you can also listen to Pastor Rocky, Mondays to Fridays, he calls it Let's Talk, Memorable Mondays, uh, Theology Tuesdays, Wisdom Wednesdays, Technical Thursdays, Thursdays, and uh, Fabulous Fridays. Uh, that's at quarter past eight in the morning until uh, half past eight. So, and on Tuesdays, you join me in studio. Not very, uh, f- well, not very many men that can do what he is doing. Uh, taking your questions on air as you've got a question from God's Word, you can send it through on WhatsApp 0826572729. And this is the program where we search God's Word to find questions and answers and answers to the questions that we so sometimes struggle with. If it's a lifestyle question, if it's a question from God's Word, something that just doesn't make sense. I think somebody was asking the other day about how is it possible that God can send an evil spirit? God cannot be tempted. God can, uh, there's no sin in God. Where does this evil spirit come from and how is it possible that the Bible can say something that, that like that? It's just an example of what we do in this program. So, without further ado, we here only till 12 o'clock, well, 5 to 12, it's already 8 minutes after 11, and if you've got a question, here's the number, send it to 82 Janine, bless you, see you that you're already on WhatsApp, thank you so much, we'll get your question in uh, Mo. want to start with Marianne de Toe. And her question reads as follows. This is a very interesting one. Rocky, I once asked a minister the very, very same question. It says, why did the head covering of women in church disappear? While it seems that the Apostle Paul feels very strongly about a woman covering her head during prayer and a prophecy. I come from an age when women used to wear hats to church. Well, Marianne, my mom did too, but it didn't, uh, but I didn't struggle too much to stop wearing it. I was in my early teens then. I don't struggle without it even now. But do we give God the glory and praise if we do not adhere? That's the question. Hmm. Do we find an answer for that in Scripture? Yeah, and, and thank you, Marianne, for this this wonderful question. I think that, um, of course, we do find uh, much about this in the scriptures, and in particular 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 to 16. Let me read that section because it is pertinent to the answer of this question. It says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything 
and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying shames his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying shames her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut short. But it is, a dis- it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut short or her head shaved. Let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man, who uh, was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man. And this is an important part here toward the end, verse 11 onward. Nevertheless, so he's giving this contrary to what he's just said above. In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. But all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, and this is the part that is absolutely critical to the answer, and why I'm reading such a large portion, because we need to see the context. And verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, But if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. So that's an important little piece right there towards the end. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul addresses the practice of head covering within the context of the Corinthian church. It's important to note that Paul does indeed emphasize that there is no universality binding practice of this across the churches, because he says that in verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So that underscores that head covering was never meant to be a universal doctrinal requirement for all believers. So it may be that at Corinth, the women there were beginning to wear the head coverings, and they started to get a bit confused about the subject, and Paul then comes in and he speaks about this. But the main point that he starts to have is he says that the head of the woman is the man, the head of the man is Christ, the head of Christ is God. So he speaks actually of the covering from a spiritual perspective of God covers the Lord Jesus in his authority over the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus said, nothing that I say is my own words, it's my father's words. Nothing that I do is my own deeds, it's my father's deeds. I've come to do the will of my father who is in heaven. Jesus emphasizes this all the time. Why? Because God the Father is the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Paul gives us an indication of even what it is within the marriage, what it is to have your head covered. The man inside of the home has the head as Christ, who is his authority. The man must look to Jesus about what he says and what he does, like the Lord Jesus did with the Father. And the woman is, and and the wife in the home is to be the same underneath 
the husband of yeah. that home. Yeah. What she says, what she does ought to be in line with her head, which is her husband. And so that's the major drive of a passage like this. It's not actually the head covering that many people make it to be. And sadly, this has become something of a contentious issue at times within churches. There's There's been this kind of like idea of, well, we must go and do head covering based on that passage. Yeah. But actually, that's a misunderstanding of that passage. Not just only hats. Uh, yeah. Can we bring in here pants as well? Because I, I remember there's certain denominations that, that said at one stage, a woman can't wear pants to church. It is a, a dress only, finishing yeah. uh, And that uh, same thing applied for, for hats as well. And, and here we are today, and it's changed totally. And then again, if you look at the way nowadays, uh, and, and maybe we should address that here as well. Uh, just before I move on, uh, Rocky, somebody's asking here, what is the scripture you quoted about the hats in church? First uh, Corinthians 12, from verse 2 till verse 16. Right, First Corinthians 12, 2 to 16. Oh, sorry, 11. Sorry. Uh, 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse yeah. 2 to 16. All right. Uh, bless you, Raggy. Thank you so much for listening to this program. Thank you for posting uh, the question there. Not only pants, not only hats, uh, but uh, m- many other things that have changed through the years. And it makes you wonder, uh, you know, have we lost the plot? Yeah, look, I do think that we need to be culturally sensitive to a degree. And I think that was something of what Paul was doing even with the church at Corinth. Yeah. Because as he deals with this, he actually starts to speak about the symbolizing the, the submission element even within that cultural context of husbands wives etc and he speaks about that and and i do think that there is a sensitivity that we ought to have within the context that we're in there's also a modesty that we should apply within the church of christ and um, and i do think that at times there's well-meaning individuals that do seek a, a level of modesty and and, and, a, and a specific kind of address within church that sometimes might borderline to the legalistic element where somebody would say, if you're not dressed this way, then you're not a child of God, etc. Yeah, right. And and I do think that there are elements that even today, I mean, I, I have a, a rule as per se for anybody that leads the service at Benoni Bible Church. If you're going to be praying for the, the bread or the cup, and we only have men that lead at Benoni Bible Church in, in any way in the service, and we call on them to wear smart pants, a buttoned-up shirt, smart shoes. You know, we don't want somebody in pluckies coming. Now, that's that's a rule we've made at Benoni Bible Church, but it's not a rule of if you're not dressed like this, you're not a child of God. Yeah. But there's an, an element of order. Now, the problem comes, I guess, when that starts to become the very practice of the congregation that if you do not do this, then you suddenly are not a believer. Yeah. There's no place in the scriptures that says that a woman cannot wear right. pants, for example. But we do see that the Bible upholds the fact that a woman is to be dressed like a woman and a man is to be dressed like a man. Yeah. He's not to be dressed in, in, in an effeminate type of a way and she's yeah. not to be dressed in a manly type of a All way. Right. And so there is that that is carried through in the scriptures. But there's some wonderful pants that are very much womanly type of pants. Just like skinny jeans should yeah, never yeah. be a man's jean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we have this, um, I think that we do need to be sensitive, but we don't have that rule that is like yeah. applied to us. And even in that, and to summarize that First Corinthians 11 passage, Paul teaches on the head covering there, but he highlights the practice was context specific. And it wasn't meant to be this universal doctrine. So his focus was on maintaining harmony and understanding within the church. While cultural practices may evolve over time, as we've spoken of, yeah, sometimes there's churches that say, hey, a woman should wear a hat, shouldn't we? But it evolves over time. Our commitment to the scriptural principles of unity and submission within the home context, those are elements that do remain and remain paramount. 
Rocky, question. Uh, before we walk away from this, clothing has become somewhat of a stumbling block in church nowadays. Sometimes you would see women wearing, uh, by virtue of an example, some something silky that looks like a worm has spinned it in his lunch break. It's, you know, it's not properly dressed. Or, as you've mentioned, the guy would come to church in pluckies. If you're invited by a king, to to a a, a a a occasion, would you dress in pluckies? How do we look at this from a biblical pers- mm. perspective? I mean, we we come to church not to be seen by one another, but to stand before the King of all kings. Does mm. uh, clothing uh, apply to a certain extent? Does it say something about our respect to the Lord? Yeah, no, definitely. I think there are a number of principles that we can apply. For example, modesty. In First Timothy 2, verse 9 to 11, it speaks about how our attire, we must not, in a sense, um, it is the inner person that is the most special before God, but we must be people that do respect and show sanctity even within church environments. I think that that, that is part of even the First Corinthians 11 element when it comes to the, the head of the wife being yeah. the husband. I do think that there is the role of the husband of his home and even the pastors and elders of a congregation in maintaining a level of modesty within the congregation. If there isn't a husband to speak to a woman, then there should be older women within the congregation that can take aside that younger woman. Maybe she didn't know, and I do think we need to have a level of patience and an element of love, and and we need to be gentle in the way that we approach one another in the church. And there's times where we've had to have others be patient with us, you know, and, and, and there's times we've not known about how exactly um, and I think that the the principle is we shouldn't be so dressed up that we become a distraction but we also shouldn't be so dressed down that we become a distraction remembering that the reason that we assemble for worship is always for the worship of Christ he's the one that is meant to be the main focus so there is an element of modesty there's an element of respect you know attending church is a way that we honor and worship the Lord but if we're wearing clothing that shows a disrespect, I think that would be an issue. And I think that there's a deeper heart issue often. So sometimes we also can focus too much on the outside appearance and, and forget sometimes of the heart. You know, it's a different thing if somebody doesn't actually have uh, anything other than pluckies, you know, Jesus wore sandals. I understand. You know, but, but, but if we actually are showing disrespect in the way in which we are dressed, I think that is the, the key thing. But then there's also a cultural sensitivity. You know, for example, uh, we're talking now about pluckies, but if you go to some churches on Durban South Coast or North Coast, yeah. um, where it's like super humid, etc., it's almost like it's not even a well, problem. Some of the when, African when churches. Everybody, yeah, when yeah. everybody's coming in pluckies, it's not a problem. Yeah. But if you come to Benoni Bible Church on a Sunday, you might find, but actually, like, I'm pretty underdressed if I'm in pluckies because everybody else is wearing. So I do think that there is a cultural sensitivity, which is not a wrong thing. Yeah. You know, and if you going to go to a place i mean for example when we visited dubai one of the things that was told to us is you got to be careful about how you dress as westerners that are coming to this you recognize there's a cultural environment and you are stepping into and you do adhere to it you don't wear bad clothes in that environment you know it's like you don't light up a cigarette inside of an airplane you know that there's a rule that's there and i do think that there's an element of that when you attend in a local church where you go well let me not dress so up that I'm like uh, distracting people because they look at me and go, well, this guy must be whatever, some angel that's come amongst us. But let me not dress so down that I'm also a distraction in that sense. I want the focus to be on the Lord. Lord. And that is where we avoid distractions. But then the main thing, I think, that, that comes out with this 
And that's First Samuel sixteen seven. You remember how God says God looks at the heart, not yes, at the outside appearance. Well. We must have a heart attitude that upholds Christ. And and what is the dressing of the heart? I think is what we should really get to. How do I dress my heart when I come yeah. to church? How would I like on a to Sunday meet my morning? Savior? Yes. How would I like to meet my Savior? And I do think you've made a good key um, illustration. How would we dress if we're going to go to some dignitary? If we were to suddenly appear before uh, King Charles, um, you know, yeah. for example, how would we dress? How would they expect us to dress? How would his servants that help him actually say to you, listen, Vainant, you can't go like this to the king, or Rocky, you can't go like this to the king. This is the stuff you need to wear. How yeah. would we treat him? And I, and I think that that is the key element. What's our heart attitude before Christ-like when we come to worship? Love the words, an element of modesty. Keep that in mind when you meet the king next time. Bless your heart. Thank you so much. Uh, excellent uh, question there, Marianne. Thank you so much. And I hope that answers the hat issue for you, uh, the pants, and the clothing that Vainant has added on top of your question there. Rocky, can we go to, uh, let me see, who's asked this one? Maureen, uh, that asked about 1 Samuel 19.9. I made mention of it at the beginning of this program, and here it is. I probably, it's just my subconscious that remind me about it. She says, I'm struggling with 1 Samuel 19 and verse 9. Uh, can you please help me? How is it possible uh, can God send a, a evil spirit, command an evil spirit? What is evil spirits even doing around God? And I immediately think of where is it in the Bible where um, was it Job and Satan appeared yes. in the heavenly realms before God and the Lord said, what are you doing here? Yes. Uh, how do we answer Maureen with this question? Yeah. So First Samuel 19.9 says, now there was an evil spirit from Yahweh on Saul. As he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. And then you find that uh, Saul actually throws the spear at David. Now, Saul is the one that threw the spear. It's, and, and we've got to realize that it's, no evil spirit can make us do whatever it, it would have. Right. But this evil spirit was also on Saul as a result of his rebellion and as a result of his constant disobedience before God. But as you mentioned, even with Job chapter 1, the devil is even God's devil. And what I mean by that is that God is not the one that is guilty for what the devil does, but the devil cannot do anything apart from the authority of God. And there's no evil spirit that can even do anything on this earth apart from God allowing it. That does not mean that God is the author of evil. It does not mean that God has sinned. And I know that this causes a lot of uh, flags that possibly come up in the mind even of the listener as they listen to this. But God is the one who is supremely in absolute control sovereignly over all that happens whether good or bad and in first samuel 19:9 we encounter this passage this evil spirit from the lord from yahweh that troubled saul and it's important to approach this verse with much sensitivity of course as well as comprehension of the understanding of this now imagine for a moment a parent who loves their child deeply as an illustration for this the parents not the source of the child's tantrums for example But if the child disobeys and makes wrong choices and continues in stubbornness and in pride and rejecting the parent's correction, they might become troubled and behave in ways that even cause them much distress. And similarly, as we read about this evil spirit from the Lord in 1 Samuel 19.9, it's not that God is evil, but rather he permits this troubling spirit to affect Saul 
as a result of Saul's own disobedience and rebellion. And that's key for us to realize. Saul at one point had the Holy Spirit upon him. Now the Old Testament has a different kind of a a view of the work of the Holy Spirit. Since the ascension of Christ into heaven and ten days later at Pentecost, from the Father and the Son, the Spirit preceded the Holy Spirit. And we have the indwelling Holy Spirit as New Testament believers. But in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit dwelt upon Saul. But the Holy Spirit also left Saul. Why? Because Saul had disobeyed God, like Samson had earlier. And that's a frightening passage to be reminded of. You know, when Samson, the Holy Spirit, left him and he didn't even know that the Holy Spirit had left him. Because of his continued disobedience of God. But here we have now this evil spirit. And it doesn't imply that God himself is evil or that he is the source of evil. Instead, it refers to the distressing or the tormenting spirit that was permitted to affect Saul. But why was this permission given? Well, because Saul had opened himself up for this. Saul had disobeyed God. He had continued in rebellion before God. This was as a consequence of Saul's behavior and his rejection of God. So God's saying, basically, you can have this. You can, you can have what you want in Saul because you don't actually want to obey me. You don't want to honor me. You don't want to uphold me. And this is in line with the rest of what the scriptures even teaches. And, and this, this usage even indicates permission and the agency rather of than direct causation. So he has allowed this. He has not actually done this. So it's not God who does this. It's Saul by his own disobedience and his rebellion. And let me bring in a couple of other passages just to show this, because throughout the Bible, there's instances where God allows certain circumstances and he allows certain kind of, um, let's say, consequences because of the ways in which mankind disobeys him. Romans 1 verse 18 to 32 is an example where God actually hands over. And we see that when people suppress the truth and when they engage in sinful behavior, God gives them over for their desires and to their desires, allowing them to experience the full consequence of their choices. We might try and skip the consequences, but we cannot skip the consequences before God. And then in Judges 10, verse 13 to 18, where Israel repeatedly turns from God to idols. As a result, God allows them to face the hardship arising from their disobedience. So God hands them over. Hosea 4 verse 17, we see also the metaphor of a rebellious child in Hosea. And Hosea refers to God's relationship with Israel. And in Hosea 4 17, God says, let him alone as he allows Ephraim to then grasp the seriousness of their actions. And then also in Acts 14 verse 16, where we have, uh, again, God shows that he allows the nation to follow their ways as in the past. So there's these multiple instances through the scriptures. And I think what's important for this question is to realize that God is not the source of evil and God is not doing evil. It's mankind who has done evil and Saul himself, even in that moment where he throws the javelin, it's absolutely Saul that does that. Even though he has this evil spirit that's in him, uh, it's, it's as a result of his <laughs> continued rebellion before God. Rocky, we've seen it in many court cases nowadays in South Africa. Yes. People say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, yeah. And, and the only reason that the devil 
um, that you could even think that you're under that influence of the devil is because you've allowed that. Yeah. You have pursued that. Yeah. And you have, it, it's not, that throwing of the javelin even wasn't, oops, that happened. And you see many people do that today. They're like, yeah. oh, it was an oopsie. When you think of like sexual sin between, yeah. let's say, a husband that cheats on his wife and, yeah. and goes to some other woman. Yeah. Um, and that's not just an oopsie. That, that, that act of jumping into bed was not the first sin that had happened. There's a continuous pursuit of sin that happened with that. There's all the messages that, that the man sent her. There's mm. all the messages she, she sent him. There's the allowing of that emotional no, relationship to take place. There's the allowing to speak to her in ways that she, he should have only been speaking to his wife. Yeah. So there's this pursuit of sin, but then God is also a handing over. He's saying, okay, well, do you want that? And, and sin never, ever rewards. It always will bring about brokenness. Yeah, there's a way that seems right unto man. The end thereof leadeth to death, says the yes. word of God. You tune to Scriptural. We in your company until 12 o'clock, half an hour, gone, done, dusted into all eternity. If you've got a question, send it through to us, 082-657-2729. Brilliant questions that's coming in this morning. And thank you so much. We so enjoyed to search the Scriptures with you. As you just listening to this program, please pray for Rocky this morning that what we answer you comes straight from God's word, not man's opinion, but God's opinion about this. And it carries the authority of God's oracle. So uh, uh, if you listen to the programs this morning, thank you so much. But for us, I believe here in the atelier. Rocky, a question that we received, is it Andrew that said, what does it mean when pastors only preach out of the Old Testament, and very rarely preach out of the New Testament. Is the New Testament not the good news, the gospel, and how can we reach souls for Christ? Uh, what do we answer? I think it's Andrew, if I pronounce the name correct. What yes. do we answer, Andrew? Yeah, and, and this, um, what is difficult about a question like this, I can, I can see there must be a, a level of frustration, possibly with a pastor in particular that, that maybe you're feeling is in the Old Testament quite a bit. Um, so I'm not too sure exactly the context behind this, but, but let me try and answer this as well as, as possible. We should be, as preachers of God's Word, preaching the whole counsel of God's Word. We should be preaching both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And that's a key principle when it comes to preaching. We should be giving the whole Bible. Now, I like to do... Um, I've been preaching the book of Exodus in the morning service at Benoni, and I've been preaching the book of First Timothy in the evening service. And that's one of the ways that I'm uh, kind of preaching the whole counsel of God's word on any given Lord's Day as we do New Testament and Old Testament. Right. Remember also that we're the ones that came up with the terminology of Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah. The Bible Jesus is, didn't have that in No, the, the, the Bible is the full canon of God's word, yeah. which is from Genesis all the way through all to Revelation. Books. And interestingly enough, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 11, you have all the major doctrines revealed right there. The rest of the Bible just expounds on those doctrines and repeats itself many times, etc. And we're slow of hearing and slow of understanding. And so we need 66 <laughs> books to actually come to understand God. And he reveals himself to us in that sense. So Acts 20 verse 27 reminds us of the importance of declaring the whole counsel of God's word. Then the Old and the New Testament um, there, there's a wonderful connection. The Old and the New Testament are not isolated entities. They are interwoven. The Old Testament lays the foundation, while the New Testament 
Testament reveals its fulfillment. So Jesus himself affirmed that connection in Luke chapter 24 verse 27 when he's there on the road of Emmaus with the two disciples. He explains how the scriptures pointed to him and therefore preaching from the Old Testament is enriching our understanding of Christ's significance. So there is importance to preach the Old Testament just as there's importance in preaching the New Testament. We have revealed in the New and concealed in the old. That's another kind of principle when it comes to the Bible. The New Testament reveals what was concealed in the old. And Hebrews 10 verse 1 explains that the Old Testament law and the sacrifices were shadows of the good things that were to come. So preaching the Old Testament unveils the types and the foreshadowing that is found in the completion in Christ. But then also there's the equipping of the saints that comes from the Old and the New Testament. Pastors are gifts to the church. We must remember that. That's actually, and, and maybe you should remember that this coming Lord's Day, that you can go to your pastor and say, thank you for being a gift from the Lord. Because pastors are gifts from yeah. the Lord to the local church, and they are called to equip the saints for the ministry. That's the main job of the pastor in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 12. Now, why I'm mentioning this and why this is important is that we sometimes also think that the only one that's meant to be doing ministry is the pastor on the Sunday through his preaching. What the pastor's job on the Sunday through the preaching is, is to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. The Bible teaches us that church, the ecclesia, the assembly of the saints, even on that Lord's Day, that is mainly for the Christian. The Christian is getting equipped so that he might do the works of the ministry. Now, of course, there is an evangelistic element to the church service, and any pastor worth his weight in gold should be preaching the gospel, because Christians need the gospel just as non-believers need the gospel. So you should always be preaching about the perfect birth of Jesus, the perfect life in his words, in his works, in his person, the acceptability of Christ before the Father, the character of who he is, the fact that he lived that perfect life and died the perfect death that we could never die, that he rose again three days later, that he ascended on high and is at the right hand of the Father. Any preacher should be preaching that, whether from the Old Testament or the New Testament. But the main role of the pastor is to equip those saints that are before him so that they would go and do the work of the ministry. So as he does this, he should do that in his preaching ministry. That is the most wonderful way that he shepherds the flock of God that has been entrusted to him. He ought to be giving Christ's words to the sheep of Christ so that the sheep of Christ are equipped to do the work that he's called them to do. And then the church should focus on evangelism because all believers are to go into all the world with church planters, all the gospel. All yes. Right. You know, Jesus said, um, you know, this is the great commission. He yeah. said, you know, going to all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 4, Teaching them all that I have commanded you to, yeah. to do. And so that is the focus of the whole church. 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty four to 25. So as you think through this, you know, it, it's good for pastors to preach Old and New Testament All right. and to equip the saints so that they can go and then teach the gospel. So I hope that's helpful in answering the question. Bless your heart. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. Excellent question there. Rocky, before we take a music break, do we know what we will be like in heaven? Janice, you're up next. Do we know what we will be like mm. in heaven? Yep. I mean, we get a good idea from Christ appearing to the disciples. Yeah, I just love this question. I, 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 I'm blown away. He's eating fish on the beach mm. and you can't see the fish drop through. 
but yet yeah. he's spirit. Isn't that wonderful that we're going to eat one day in heaven? Hey, you think so? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we have the marriage feast of the Lamb. Oh, Can yes. Can you imagine that yes. feast? So we we do have an idea, and let me answer it in a few ways. All right. Uh, should I? Should we take the music break? No, no, no. Go for it. Let's go, go for Genesis. For yeah. Okay. We'll have glorified bodies one day. First Corinthians fifteen verse forty two to forty four. Paul explains that our current perishable bodies will be transformed into imperishable bodies. That is glorified bodies. Now, of course, that happens at the rapture of the church, so there's a specific time that that will happen. First Thessalonians teaches us about this. Second Thessalonians teaches us about that. But we will have bodies like our Lord Jesus' glorified bodies. He he is a first fruit of all that will be resurrected. He is he, he is the picture of what we will be like. And like you mentioned, he's on the beach, he's eating uh, food there. He, he was able to also walk through walls as he appears to his disciples. He had a glorified body. And they could body yet, Thomas could still his, be felt. Yeah, yes, felt Thomas him. felt his hands, wow. felt his side, said, my Lord, my God, and he proclaims wow. um, about the Lord Jesus. So we will have glorified bodies one day, those that are redeemed. Um, yeah. You know, of course, there will be the resurrection even of the dead because right now, uh, either when you die as a believer, you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord, or you will go to a place that is called a waiting. It's like a waiting room hell, hell Gehenna, where your soul and your immaterial part of your body will wait there until the resurrection of your body, where you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so there will be the resurrection of the dead. There will be the resurrection of those that are in Christ, and there's the resurrection of the dead, and they will be judged before him. And then that's what the resurrection speaks about in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 17, where the dead will rise in Christ. And then there will also be no more suffering. And that's a wonderful reality about what heaven will be like. I just love the section in Revelation 21, and in particular verse 4, all tears will be wiped away. Wow, I think you can, um, yeah. and Kurt Scalio, a man that I love to to listen to in the States. He's a pastor of Faith Baptist Church in the States. He's got a daily podcast as well if anybody wants to go and look up Everyday Truth with Kurt Scalia. It's excellent. Uh, but he um, he speaks about how everything of this world's suffering can be summarized in that one word, tears, because that's what this world's suffering is about. And God wipes away those tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. Our eternal state will be one of unending joy and peace as we are in the presence of God. We will see him and we will be like him. We will see him face to face. That's what we'll be like in heaven. There'll be perfection and there'll be holiness. 1 John 3 verse 2 suggests that we will be just like Christ in that way when we are with him. And I don't think we really understand that to the degree that we ought to because we're so tainted by sin on this earth. You know, like Paul said in um, Romans chapter 7, he said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Because that's what we experience day by day. We've been sinned against. We sin against. We're under the curse of sin. We have sin all around us. Our families are so messed up because of sin. We're in such messy places because of sin. But one day we'll be perfect and we'll be holy like our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what else will we have in heaven? We'll have absolute communion with God. I just, I mean, you know, there's those moments, I don't know if you ever experienced that, where you're standing in a worship service, you're singing to the Lord, and you're like, well, I could die right now, and (laughs) I I could just be so happy in this very moment if I was with the, that will be be exactly what heaven will be like, Revelation 22, verse 3 to 4, we find this, we, we have this eternal dwelling with God, we'll be in his presence, we'll be serving him, we'll be experiencing this deep fellowship with him, we'll be worshiping him, and then there'll be continuity of our identity 
reality because while specific areas may change and there's, there's this mystery, our unique identity, like our fingerprints, we will maintain that in heaven. We'll be ourselves. We won't be somebody else, but we'll be glorified as ourselves. Wow. And we'll be fully known and fully recognizable even. We'll be able to see each other one day. Maybe you'll be, hey, hey, Vaynans and hey, Rocky. Yeah, well, yeah, they yeah. will know who each other are and yeah. will have that full body um, in a sense. And then there'll be worship and service, Revelation 22, mm. verse 3, where we see that we will serve God in his temple. Our purpose will include worship, service, fulfillment of our roles in that sense. Mm. So it's a wonderful reality. I said to my wife, where will I find you in heaven? You're such a special spirit. She said, at the choirs. I said, the whole place will be full of choirs. (laughs) She said, no, at the choirs, at the living streams, where the living stream is flowing from. I love water. because uh, And something else, there won't be a sun and a moon. Mm. God himself will give us light. You won't be burned by UV uh, in heaven. Eventually in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, indeed, Jesus himself is the light. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much, Janet. Excellent question. Now, we, we are instructed by the authorities over us to play music. We have to. I know. I've, this morning is interesting. Man, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. And if I'd be in a car somewhere at a home in, in my place of work, I'd be listening to scriptural. Bless your heart for your questions. You determine the rhythm. Thank you so much for posing these very... Very, very interesting equations. However, we have to play some music. Raymond Soldier say it's done. Jesus himself said it on the cross. It is done. There come a day where there will be no more tears. My brother, my sister, you hang in there. I trust that you enjoy the program. We'll be back for the last stretch right after this. As easy as the touch of a button. The message of life on 657 AM. Mm, we've got about 10 minutes of lift. I want to get right back into it. Scriptural is here. Frage 9. Rocky and I, uh, we agreed on this one. Let's keep it anonymous. My sister is a smoker and also drinks a lot of wine. But she constantly tells me how she feels the Lord's presence and love. How does one make sense of it in the fact that it's willful sin, and that Jesus said, if we love him, we will obey him. As far as I'm concerned, we must live to bear his image. Yeah. How do we answer her? Yeah. I, I, somebody's I think, watching, somebody's listening, and it's a close family member. Yeah, one, one area that we must realize is that even unbelievers are under much of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it would seem that, uh, now we get keeping the listener anonymous in this question, it would seem that that she views her sister, she sees that, but my sister actually is not a believer by yeah. the actions that my believer is. By the fruit by the, that she, by, by the what fruit. my sister is doing. Yeah. This is not a Christian. That doesn't mean, however, that her sister is not actually experiencing much of the grace of the Lord Jesus because the rain falls on the wicked and it falls on the righteous. She may even sense the presence of God, truly. But actually, she may be denying God and maybe disobeying God. And but that 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 every day is grace. The Lord has given grace to this sister of hers. You know, you have the psalmist even at one point. I think it was Psalm seventy-two, and I stand corrected. I haven't looked it up, but um, 
you have Asaph. It's one of the Psalms of Asaph where he yeah. says, I looked at the wicked and they were, they were just, they were blessed, man. They were rolling around all happy. Everything was going well with them. And then I looked at myself and I was going through all of this hardship and I wondered like, what is going on here with God? And then he realizes, but what is their end? And so I think that what I would encourage is you need to be able to keep sharing the scriptures with your sister and keep teaching the truth to her. And then also approach her with with regard to the sin sensitively because a believer wants to repent of their sin. And maybe your sister even needs some help. Remember also that all believers are on a journey of spiritual growth. You're not going to be perfect. You have a perfect Savior, and it's a step-by-step process. And sometimes a person needs more help in a certain area than what they need in another area. So if your sister is a believer, then your your sister will eventually obey the Lord Jesus with regard to this. But they sometimes need to be shown that this is sin in their life, and this is the way that we and could, she can we could actually... How we could help you. The Bible acknowledges that we all fall short of perfection. That's Romans 3.23. But regarding obedience, as you mentioned, Jesus did indeed say, if you love me, you will obey me. That's John 14.15. And this principle is crucial. But we must also remember that growth in obedience is gradual. But we should be able to see, but my sister, if she's a professing believer, she's no longer the same as what she was six months ago or yeah. a year ago. We yeah. can see this growth in godliness. Rocky, you know? can I say here, just to help her here, is mm. after the Lord saved me, it took me still three years of smoking, not realizing God changed me and he took things away, but slowly and gradually leading me on a road. And if you've met me in those three years, you would say, and you call yourself a Christian? But I knew 1989, 23rd of July, the Lord saved me. And three years later, he set me free from the addiction mm. of nicotine. So, you know, maybe maybe have grace for her, isn't yes, it? Yes. So I do think you want to establish, is this person actually born again? Yeah. And, and no, one no. of the ways that you could do that is ask her about her testimony. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we sometimes are so shy to do that. but and, and we also are people that try to be so polite about these things. But actually, if you're a Christian, you don't mind somebody asking you, what is your testimony? You love exactly. to share your testimony. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of, of Christ Jesus. And that's your testimony of now three years before actually turning away from the smoking. Yeah. You realize yeah. this is sin, this is and the, the Lord, Lord Jesus is busy working on you. So he's active. He transforms us. He helps us to overcome sinful habits. That's something that Jesus does do for us. And so it's essential to then approach your sister with love, understanding, patience, encourage her to to gain guidance from the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, even like Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is indeed meant to lead you toward repentance? And so you could maybe approach your sister with God's word and say, but sister, I'm, I'm concerned about you with what I see in your life and the testimony that you have and the lack of fruit that you have. Can we go through these couple of passages together and remember that the authority lies with God, not with us as individuals. It's his word that is that. So that would be the way that I would encourage you. 
if indeed your sister is a believer, God will continue to work on her and continue to do the good work that he's begun in her. Um, and you can be patient with that, but also you can come alongside in love. Right. Thank you so much. Excellent question. And uh, thank you, Rocky, for making that uh, clear there. Right. We're going how much? We've got three minutes left here. I'm not even sure if we can squeeze it in. May Mao says, Proverbs 10:22. what is the real meaning of this verse? Rocky, what does Proverbs 10.22 says? Yeah, let me uh, just page there again quickly. Uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 22. You get to it. uh, It says the following. It is the blessing of Yahweh that makes rich, and he, he adds no pain with it. Doing wickedness is like laughing to a fool. And so is wisdom to a man of discernment. So just that verse 22 says, It is the blessing of Yahweh that makes rich, and he adds no pain to it. So what is the the real meaning of this? Well, this verse suggests that God's blessing doesn't, don't in, 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 though when you receive God's blessing, you don't inherit pain with God's blessing. The, the, the end result of God's blessing is absolute delight. It's absolute wonder. If you think about even the blessing of salvation that you receive in Christ, you receive the salvation in Christ, and its end is the absolute removal of any form of pain. It's important also to consider even the broader context of the scriptures, and and life has many complexities. Life has much pain. Life has much challenges. Life has many things that persist that are difficult. But one day we will be removed from all of that pain when we are truly in Christ. So the blessings of God in the end turn out for absolute glory, and there is no pain that goes with it. So even those that are most blessed of God go through pain on this earth, of course. But there is an end that we are sanctified to, and we will receive absolute blessing without any pain in the long run from God. So the Bible acknowledges that hardships can be opportunities even for growth as we trust in God, and ultimately the verse calls us to appreciate God's goodness in our lives while recognizing the reality of life's ups and downs as well. But in the end, God triumphs over all. And so I think that's the kind of thrive or the drive of that in the blessings of Yahweh that make rich and he adds no pain with it and the, in the long run we will have a life that um, even as we mentioned earlier from from uh, Revelation 21 where the tears are even wiped away because of the blessings of Yahweh. Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Time is caught up with us. Man, I wanted to squeeze in another question, but time is really caught up with us. I know so many of our listeners, beloved brothers and sisters, writing to you. Where can they get hold of you uh, if they need to write to, to yeah, you? They're send welcome you an to email. send me an email on pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. I did see that there's many that we haven't gotten to today, and we praise God for you, the listener. Please keep the comments coming, and if you have an urgent question, send it to me on an email and then we can deal with that next week right time to love and leave you thank you thank you for a interesting program i so enjoyed that to uh, be in the driving seat here and doing the technical side of things and i honor the lord for rocky's life and i honor the lord for your life and that you uh, took part in this program scriptural there's a responsibility that comes with it act 17 11 says good to listen to rocky and violent Good to listen to Radio Pulpit and your pastor and your minister, but search the scriptures on a daily basis to see if these things are so. So, 
take what you've heard here, go and search the scriptures, spend time before the Lord, meditate on the word, and give God the glory that is uh, owing to his majestic name. Thank you so much for listening to this program. Till next time, keep well. God bless you. Shalom.